You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and let me bring in the rest of the team because we have a loaded show for you today. And you can hear this show in any episode of Longhorn Blitz anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Now to bring in the rest of the team, he is the master of the soundboard, the driver machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and the Daily Fantasy Guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I can't complain. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos. And a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 48 acres where he earned his degree whenever that t-ring comes in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that all-american honor recognized by the ncaa they make sure you get one of those black cards number 21 in your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers i uh i falsely accused rod b of munching on chips when we started recording this this press conference but but rod you got a lot of papers you're shuffling through right now a lot of stuff going on we got a lot of spring football to talk about it's uh it beats the hell out of what we were doing at this time a year ago which was a whole lot of nothing yeah now that we're you know we're gonna be pretty soon getting the show back together as a group but when we do it remotely i have to mute myself so you guys don't hear the the rustling of the papers as I'm looking through my research. So that's why, yeah, man. That's, the mental image it's, it's, is better of you just stuffing your face full of Funyuns. <laughs> and I'm a Funyuns fan. Haven't had them in years, but I'm a fan of the Funyuns, no doubt. Or, or unless you're Craig Way and at the back of a studio at the Old Valley Ranch, you're going to eat munchos and have Jimmy Johnson rip into you for interrupting his coach's <laughs> show. But that's a, that's another that's another story for another day. The workaholic Craig just <laughs> Anybody trying to get a bite in. Yeah, anybody that listens to Light the Tower, I do like a needling Craig about the Jimmy Johnson Muncho story. <laughs> but uh, by the way, ten to noon uh, on the Horn each and every weekday. Shout out Horn Horn app HornFM.com. Y'all are and, uh, entertaining. Yeah, don't forget to get Rod B on the triple option either. Three to seven each and every weekday. Uh, Shout out, guys. Let's go ahead and uh, and talk some spring football, specifically spring scrimmage. We got a scrimmage on Saturday, and here's the biggest news coming out of the scrimmage. Rod, I love giving the people this update. The most important thing to take away. 100-play scrimmage, full contact, tackling to the ground. Nobody got hurt. So that's that's a win right there. That's a win. That's a great scrimmage. That's a win. 
especially considering some of the injuries that we've seen come out of scrimmages or just, you know, full contact practices or what have you. Oh, so and so has a fractured clavicle. Like, what the hell what the hell are y'all doing? It was a it was there wasn't y'all weren't even in pads today. What happened? Um, but that's where we are. Uh and you know, there's a highlight video out there that the uh, official Texas football Twitter account has tweeted out the uh, creative arts focus, uh, folks over there on the 40 doing a great job putting together the highlight packages. So there's a lot to take away. But let me start with this, and, and we can branch off from here. Um, f- just f- so the listening audience knows, I had to text Matt and Rod as soon as <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian's post-scrimmage availability was over. I had to text them to tell at, to tell them about Sark's response to my question. And I asked a couple questions during the uh, – during the availability, but the last one I asked was about personnel groupings, and I framed it from the standpoint of whether you, no matter what you want to be as a base offense, right, 11 personnel, 12, 21, whatever, do you want to have that nailed down by the end of spring practice, or is that just something that's kind of constantly evolving? And I and that same question I asked him about safeties and nickels, so he, t- he talked about safeties and nickels, and just in case you hear about, oh, Chris Adam Moore is working at safety or so-and-so is working at nickel, that group, so last year under Chris Ash, the Nichols, the Spurs, they were with the linebackers for individual and everything leading up to team. Now those Nichols are with the safeties for everything leading up to team. So that's why there's a lot of carryover now between the safety position and the nickel position, which is typically where you would think there would be carryover. Uh, so after he talked about that, this was Sark's response on personnel groupings, and I damn near took my pants off during the response. And as far as personnel's on offense, I want them all. Like I don't, I don't try to pin us down and and say we are this or just that. I mean, I I have a firm belief: the more things we do really well, the harder we are to stop. And so if if we've got 10, 11, 12, 21 personnel, thirteen personnel, shoot, I want defenses to try to have to prepare for all that. And but the key to that is making sure that we can operate in all those different things. And so. That's what all this is for, um, but but I do believe in the more things we do well, the harder we are to defend. And so we, we try to we try to put a lot on the guys and see how much they can you know they can they can di- swallow and digest. And like I said, they've done it. They've done a really nice job up until this point. He wants it all, Rod. He even said thirteen personnel. The more we do, the harder we are to defend. Oh my gosh, what a concept that you can run more than one personnel grouping within the framework of your offense. It, I know you know people can take whatever they want from press conference quotes, but, Rod, this is one that tells me, man, that this offense is going to look a little bit different than what we've seen the last few years. Uh, yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it seems like Sark is – he's not necessarily married to a scheme or married to a personnel grouping. Yeah. You know, he's more married to efficiency, effectiveness, and married to winning. And and coaches, I never. Tom Herman's the prime example. Unfortunately, we got to keep bringing Tom Herman up. I apologize for it, but hey, we did the same same thing in seventeen. Charlie, so he's a prime example of it, right? I mean, you look at Tom Herman. I mean, look at the empty personnel, right? I last year tracked it, and over and over again, early on, it was pretty obvious that Texas was lethal in empty formation. I mean, Mm -hmm. absolutely lethal in empty formation. And yet, for some reason, Tom Herman wanted to limit uh, himself a little bit and how much they ran it. I, I still wouldn't track it because I couldn't believe it. And you go look at Texas passing the football in empty formation last year. They were averaging 10 yards per attempt. 
seven passing touchdowns, 10 explosive plays. They had a passing touchdown every 6.7 passing plays out of empty formation, an explosive pass play every 4.7 pass plays out of empty formation. If you include the rushing plays, a touchdown every 5.7 plays, an explosive play every 4.7 plays, a first down or a touchdown every 2.6 plays out of empty formation. And yet for some reason, and by the way, they were, if you look at fourth down efficiency, they were converting 41% of their third or fourth downs out of empty formation. And by the way, they had four drops. Jake Smith had a drop on third down out of empty. Marcus Washington. Uh, I mean, it, they had a bunch of guys that just kind of failed out of empty formation when you went back and watched it. But they'd have been way more efficient if they just had players that caught the ball out of empty, too. So my point is Tom Herman, once again, in the twenty, the two back sets, right? I mean, I was also preaching all year, man, you got to run more two, 21 personnel, more two back formations, more 20 personnel, two back, zero tight ends, because you had two good running backs. You actually had, actually, you had three. I mean, you include Keontae Ingram, Rojo, and Bijan Robinson. And, hell, Tom Herman, when he did, I guess I can't say Tom Herman, but in the Colorado game, in the bowl game, Texas had a 21 personnel package with the, with the slot, basically, the H in the backfield. Uh, on three run plays and they averaged 25 yards <laughs> per rush on those plays. And so and the data was not only there, but also the evidence and Tom Herman would limit himself. So I know Sark's not going to do that. Uh, I already hear about 12 personnel that they're running a little bit. Uh, I know that the 21 or 20, 20 personnel is in his background from his time with the Falcons and not just a fullback. He was actually running with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. So you're talking about two tailbacks in the backfield, something we've also talked about on Longhorn Blitz. And if you start looking at him when he was transitioning that Atlanta offense from from Shanahan, you know, that's his, that was his adaptation, right? He's like, all right, I know you guys like to run a lot of two-back sets, but how about we run two tailbacks in the backfield? Shanahan usually has a traditional fullback. Uh, I remember at Alabama, the red personnel package, he wanted to put, uh, you know, Devontae Smith, Henry, uh, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, and Jerry Judy, all of them on the field at one time. And they were running 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends, just four wide receivers. Why not? You got four first-round wide receivers. Why would you limit yourself by not putting them all on the field at the same time? So he seems to be one of those offensive minds that is willing to push the boundary to try to maximize the weaponization of his assets. Yeah, and you brought up the stats there that are just mind-blowing, and it sort of just goes back to the idea and something that we talked about a lot, but the last staff not doing very well in the self-scouting department because if you're doing your due diligence, and I mean, I don't know how you could look at those numbers and make any other conclusion than having to run more of them. If you're getting literally a first down every 2.7 snaps is going to tell you, well, there's our success rate, and then you're scoring TDs before you get the next first down on a per-play basis. Like, that's just crazy right there, so... Just the open mind nature, something that simple really can go that far, especially if you start to see results in something that you weren't expecting it from. And then you get it upside of your offense in a variety that not every offense in the country can duplicate. Yeah. And by the way, guys, they had what, from my count, less than 60 total empty formation place. Yeah. That's the lack of (laughs) scale. As it was, they didn't run it that often. And I kept thinking to myself, Hell, man, I'd be in that damn thing. I'd probably be in it 10 to 15 times per game you if said, I was some army. You said less and than, I would, less I than been, 60 runs? I'd have been running, I'd have been rushed, I'd been running mm-hmm. plays out of it because if you watch Andy Reid, Andy Reid has plays where he'll go empty and he'll jet sweep somebody across the formation and he'll run his own read. 
Right. You, mm-hmm. said you know less, what I mean? Kind of than... run an RPO in that way. I mean, there are ways to get creative with it. I just don't understand how that wasn't more a part of it. But it gets back to our point about Sark. Sark's not that. I, we, I'm sorry to bring up Tom Herman so much, but he's not that. He is actually the antithesis of it. Uh, I think he's going to try to use as many uh, formations, play personnel packages to try to get himself a schematic advantage. And we always talk about, right, scheme guys open, scheme guys open. Um, that that is a, a common theme from all the film I've watched of Sark's days with Washington, um, you know, USC, you know, time in Atlanta, time in Alabama. He's going to find out who his weapons are, who his main weapons are. He's going to feature those guys in very creative ways and use a lot of cheat codes to scheme those guys open. And I think that's going to be the case with Texas. That was what we couldn't. Everybody was we just couldn't deal with it with Tom Herman, right? Bijan yeah. Robinson didn't want to weaponize that guy, you know, didn't want to weaponize Jared Wiley. And when we found out that he could be an asset on offense and, and turn you into a multiple offense, right? Give you different layers. He just didn't get it, unfortunately. Uh, I think Sark does. Uh Rod, you got an exact number. I know you said less than sixty. You got an exact number on plays that empty formation. And when you chart those, are you charting successful plays or, or plays that were called back, or what do you? you just... I chart all of them. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I have fifty-five total plays. Fifty-five. Uh, that's on officially not counting pen, pen uh, plays called back due to penalty doesn't count. Texas had seven hundred and fifteen official snaps, official plays from scrimmage, in ten games yeah. last season. There you go. <laughs> so exactly. I can't do the math, but that's not a very high percentage. Uh, yeah. So, Rod, that kind of dovetails though a little bit into, I think, maybe from a personnel standpoint, maybe the biggest thing coming out of the scrimmage, which was Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson. Both were really good, and Sark had a lot of high praise for Roshan Johnson coming out of the scrimmage. And based on his comments, I've seen some people try to maybe frame this as, oh, this is a running back battle we didn't expect to happen. Well, I didn't take it as that for two reasons. One, look, we know Roshan Johnson is a good football player. He was just hurt damn near the entire year last year, Yeah, uh, even going back to camp. And number two, if you go back and listen to Sark's comments, to what we just talked about, he even said, guys, he said, look, maybe, maybe we just have to take a different approach and maybe be more – and this isn't exactly what he said verbatim, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He said maybe it's more of a two-back approach than a one-back approach because when he has had that bell cow running back, whether it's been you know Bishop Sankey or Chris Polk, Buck Allen at USC, the, the one full year he had at SC, or obviously Najee Harris, uh, he hasn't really had a need to, to do a lot of true two-back stuff like you were saying a lot, but he has done it before. And this is a case where especially given the fact that I have yet to hear anything noteworthy coming out of spring practice on a receiver not named Troy O'Meary, Joshua Moore, or Jordan Whittington, Rod, and we know they've experienced with with 12 personnel, and it's a deep tight end group that I think at the very least, like we talked about last week, Sark's either trying to figure out what he's got or – in a best case scenario, he's thinking, "Hey, maybe multiple multiple tight end offense might be best for this offense in 2021." Whatever the case, Ron, yeah. I, I think this might just need to be a, a 20 or 21 personnel base offense, or, or have that be your package the majority of the time, just to maximize your, your personnel. I, I think it, exactly right. I just think where well, you should have different in terms of your matchups week to week, right? I think you should have different options offensively. And I think the looking at the tight ends, depending on who you're going to play that week, 
maybe you can bully them, right? Maybe yeah. you can play Debo ball against them. Maybe your two tight ends with your offensive line and Bijan Robinson, knowing you got the numbers advantage in the box with a plus one in the quarterback uh, run game, maybe you can just go punk somebody that week. But that won't be everybody, right? You can't do that to every team. There's no way you can push around every team. Um, maybe you could do it to some of the, the the lesser teams in the Big 12. But then some days you're like, all right, we can't bully this team. We can't just try to overload the box and run right at them with Bijan. We're going to have to spread them out um, and use our skill and our speed and overwhelm them that way. And I think Sark is not married to a certain personnel package are a certain concept right. that's going to get him locked in right so you look I mean, i've been saying this for years you just study you know football theory right study the history of football most of the time when these these very innovative creative coaches are coming up with a great concept that ends up being a long-lasting concept that you, that's used for football for generations to come it's they were just trying to solve a problem. They, they yeah. I mean, they most people like, oh man, it's amazing that the West Coast offense <laughs> and what Bill Walsh did. Yeah, Bill Walsh was just a problem solver trying to solve a problem, right? He had Virgil Carter, a quarterback that didn't have a strong arm, but he was accurate um, and he was really, really smart. And he's like, okay, you know what? I gotta build this offense around the intellectual capacity of this quarterback, and I gotta build it around his strength, which is accuracy. Thus, born the West Coast offense, and then he found the perfect quarterback for that offense. And, you know, that's the same thing is true all throughout history. You're looking at the the, the zone blitz, right? You're talking about Bob Matheson uh, with the Miami Dolphins and them trying to figure out a way to to maximize, uh, you know, their the hybridism of a certain player. Right. I mean, that's what they do. So I think with Sark, what he's going to do is just as a problem solver. I got Jordan Whittington, who should be a wing back. Looking at football theory, what's a wing back, right? Johnny Rogers wins the uh, the Heisman way, way back in the day as a wing back. That's they are basically uh, they are hybrids. They are position flex guys. You're talking about a wide receiver with a running back mentality or a running back with a wide receiver body, whatever you want to describe him as. And Jordan Whittington is that guy. He's a unique talent, and I hear that he's he's really he's really doing well this spring. Yeah. Knock on wood, right? He's farthest along. That is a guy that should be in what I call the 30-40 club at Texas. He should be a guy to, to be able to get at least 30 rushes and 40 receptions in a season. You're like, well, that sounds arbitrary. That's not really a big deal. The only two guys to do it, honestly, that I that I can find in Texas history going back to nine, 75 years is, is Eric Metcalf and Chris Obanaya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about true position fast guy who can be who can make you multiple they their this their presence alone can make you multiple you can shift them in the backfield go to a two-back set you can motion them out of the backfield find it an advantage they'll put a linebacker or a safety on that guy if he's lined up in the backfield there's so many things you can do with jordan whittington and i think a mind like sark can actually maximize that guy and do it in a wing back sense i mean that's it's kind of a thing a concept that's taken over the nfl too look at wide receiver rushing yards in the nfl and how how they're going up and every innovative mind has a guy that you can describe as a wing back. You know, Shanahan has Debo Samuel, the, uh, the Rams they use. Oh, I forget his name, but they, they, Robert, the Rams Robert Woods. Yeah. It's Robert Woods. Yeah. For them. Right. Uh, Tyreek Hill for Kansas city. Everybody's got that guy now. And they, they're going to be looking for that, 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 that player that adds multiplicity and also adds layers to your running game. And that's what Jordan Whittington do. He can add layers to your running game with mm-hmm. the cross motion, with funk, pre-snap motions and shifts with that guy, man, you can get him matched up on all types of liabilities uh, as defenders on the other side. 
You know, Rob, my, I think my, my favorite evolutionary thing in terms of you know football evolution, you know, what what's one of the greatest defenses we've ever heard form the forty six defense, right? Buddy Ryan, had, Buddy Ryan had a guy he loved in Doug Plank, and yep. the, he he was basically a hybrid safety linebacker who wore number forty six. Hence, the forty six defense was yes, born. Exactly, it, it's not exactly. the amount of players at certain positions or anything <laughs> along those lines. And it's the same thing that if you look not like go outside the sports realm, how were X rays discovered? Some guy trying to shoot a, ra- a thing through glass. He wasn't even trying to go through humans and find out what radioactivity does, or like the way penicillin was discovered. Like this happens throughout science all the time because somebody is trying to look for something and while thinking creatively and experimenting with things may stumble into something that's groundbreaking that nobody's seen before. And if you can identify and then adapt and adjust and be like, oh, wait, that wasn't what I was intending to do, but it's really working. Let's start building on that and see where it goes. And who knows what door you'll open. I want to talk some. I think that's, and and by the way, Kwiatkowski is also one of those. Yeah. Yeah. So now I think you got, you got these creative thinkers, Sark, Kwiatkowski's in that camp. You know, I don't know who else in our staff is in that camp officially, but you got two of those guys right there. They're all your offensive and defensive play callers. So, I, yeah, I like where this is going. I'm not going to lie. I'm really excited about the potential for this offense because I truly believe, yeah, I don't know if they'll they'll commit themselves one way or another to a certain uh, personnel package or a certain, you know, formation. I think it could be a matchup based thing mm-hmm. week to week because you do have that versatility of talent at Texas. Yeah, I want to talk some defense, guys, but before we do that, let's stay on offense real quick. I want to talk about the offensive line, but just real quick because time is money on this week's show, especially with the time we got left. Um, Rod, am I wrong? Some, some of the things we're saying about Sark, and I think this should excite Texas fans given what we saw where you can pinpoint the various times last season where the Texas offense was noticeably different in terms of personnel groupings and just play-calling rhythm when it looked like, yes, this is more of what like Mike Yurcich was supposed to bring to the table. Man, a lot of the stuff we're saying about Sark, Rod, we, we, can, we said about Mike Yurcich, like not married to a particular personnel package or grouping, has a system, but it's not really rigid. He, he, he can kind of wing, kind of go on the fly and you know change on, on you know from week to week, opponent to opponent, mm-hmm. uh, really flexible, dynamic. Uh, not a big QB run game guy, but can be wide open. Like he can do some two back stuff. All this stuff we're saying about Sark, like that's the same stuff we were saying this time a year ago about Mike Yursich. And really, the three games where you can really tell the offense was different last year: the UTEP game, the K State yeah. game, and the bowl game. Like of the ten games last year, those three games. Like go watch the offensive tape from those three games, and then go watch the other seven games. Man, it is it is worlds different yeah. between between those two groups. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I I was won over by Mike Yurcich, and I kept bringing it up to that uh, that 2018 Texas Oklahoma State game, mm-hmm. right? What corn, what's his name? Corn dog. Cornelius. Taylor Cornelius. <laughs> they <laughs> put it on Texas, guy. and and I what I loved about that game plan was. They used two tailbacks in the backfield a lot of the times mm-hmm. to get the running back to the second level as blockers. And that's what I was excited for with him. I was like, man, I think he's going to come in and bring some of that 21 personnel or that 20 personnel. Remember, they had Justice Hill. Uh, they had Chuba Hubbard at the time in the backfield. Uh, mm-hmm. Who they had? They had a bunch of guys, right? Um, but they had, they had really good running backs. 
Um, King, I think maybe it was another one. I'm not sure. If I remember uh, exactly who were in the backfield, but they had three good running backs, and they used they used multiple tailbacks, not just a fullback, but what they call their cowboy back at the time. So I was excited about that, and we didn't see that until the end of the season, maybe when Tom Herman had relinquished control, and like you said, maybe at the beginning of the season with UTEP, mm-hmm. when maybe Tom Herman was still open to the the optimism and the possibility of of Yersich actually just controlling the offense and calling the place. And that's when they used a lot of, I mean, they used more 12 personnel that UTEP game than they used in any other game mm-hmm. ever with Tom Hardy. And you're right about King and the other one was LD Brown. But yeah, those four running backs. Yes. Yes. Sorry. I'm, yeah, not Hubbard. Oh, yeah, it was LD Brown. That's what no, we're okay. Chuba, Chuba, Chuba played, was there. Chuba it was those game. four yeah. guys. You were right. It was Hill, Hubbard, oh. King, and Brown. Damn, it was four. Okay. <laughs> Man, good clarification. Run it through, run it through tailbacks like people go through underwear. They were in still water that night. Uh, Ron, I want to talk real quick about the offensive line because I want to save some time on this week's show to talk some defense. But the offensive line, it, it, we always talk about it. It is a unique organism, and that group needs more time together than any other position group in your program if you want to be successful. And I like the fact that we're seeing some cross training, and the cross training makes sense. Right, like Junior Angulao and Denzel Okafor have worked both guard spots. Hell, I, I've I've gotten wind of like three or four different starting tackle groups uh, running with the first team offensive line. Like you'll have Christian Jones at left, Isaiah Hookfin at right. You'll have Jones at right and uh, Hookfin at left. You'll have Car- Andre Carrick at right tackle. You'll have Christian Jones back over at left tackle. Like there, it's but. I like the fact, Rob, that it's kind of limited right now to, I don't know, like your top six, seven guys. And when Derek Kerstetter comes back, in theory, you think that's eight. And we're not even talking about a guy like Tyler Johnson, who I thought was a really good prospect coming out of high school as a a blue chip guy, was a top 50 type recruit in the country uh, and started and looked really good in the bowl game last year. So, I mean, I'm not saying the Texas offensive line is going to be nine deep, Rod, but I, I think when you start looking at this group as a whole, even with the loss of Sam Cosme, and and we don't know when Kerstetter, I mean, assuming Kerstetter's back by the time camp starts and he's got the ability to get some summer conditioning work in, which I believe he will, Man, you tie all that together, Rod. I'm not gonna try to get too far ahead of myself because you guys know we've done this show long enough. I'm probably harder, not probably I am harder on the offensive line more than I am any other position group. So I'm not gonna get too far out in front of my skis, Rod, but I'm I'm starting to kind of like a little bit of what I'm seeing just in terms of Kyle Flood tinkering with a lot of different pieces, trying to just manufacture some depth going into a season where maybe he can say, Yeah, I've got seven guys that I really trust to be starting caliber players. Yeah, I mean, I I like the, you know, the methodology and I like the the possibility of it. I wonder how many of these guys actually can play both at a high level. Um, but either way, I mean, this is where development comes in, right? This is where coaching comes in. Um, so if Kyle Flood can truly actually, you know, kind of craft this plan and really manufacture depth to the point where you believe you got eight, nine guys that can play multiple spots on the offensive line, or at least seven of the nine can play multiple spots. Mm -hmm. That is, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's, that's what we've ideally talked about for the last decade plus about the Texas offensive line. That's where you want to be. That's, that's your ultimate goal. That's the first world 
version of offensive line development. Yeah. And Texas hadn't been there in a long time. And honestly, even back in the day, Texas really didn't have that type of mentality. They weren't cross-training a lot of guys. They had depth on the O-line when, when Texas was you know, really good uh, in their heyday. But it, they went, when I was on campus, cross-training wasn't a big thing. No. Um, that is, I think that's something that's become more of a, a later uh, progressive evolution of football. Like, hey, I mean, that's cross-training, guys. And it's a great idea for Texas. So I, I think it could end up being a good thing. And even if all of it doesn't work out, maybe you find just four guys that can play multiple positions. And maybe everybody can't play at a high level. Either way, still manufacturing you a lot of depth. Rod, correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't even know if you remember this because I know you slept since then. Was your senior year the year that it was so that it was so rigid that Mac McQuarter was coaching tackles and Tim Nunez was coaching guards, or or maybe it was the other way around? Uh, they did have there was an arrangement like that. I think at one point I think it was that 2002 uh, season. That was later. I think though. I think that was after. I left. Maybe it was like oh three or oh four, something like that. That was it. I, I, I can't remember standard. exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean Texas. You've talked about that. I mean the turnover with the offensive line coaches too is that's what also could hinder this experiment that um, you know that Kyle Flood wants to come. You know that he wants to complete because you know there's a lot of things. The terminologies is different. Different coaching styles. He doesn't know what motivates these guys. Some of these guys are have to be reprogrammed, if you will. I wonder how long. He, I'm not saying he can't do all that. Just saying how long it would take for him to do it. And as we know, Sark has said, I've given everybody the entire playbook. Like they got it all. They're not piecemealing it to them. They're not gradually bringing them along. And you know what? Since 2010, what is it? Six, seven offensive line coaches. That yeah, Texas had. It, it was Rod. I think it's in, seven. In, in 2002, I just found it. In 2002, Texas did have two offensive line coaches. Tim Nunez coached the guards and centers, and Mac McCorder had the tackles and tight ends. Very similar, yeah, like an inside receiver, outside receiver <laughs> deal. But, and we talk about how they have to work as a unit, as one organism. So it is – I don't know how common that is. I That was weird. But I think Mac – you know, Mac was, was – Mac was really big on positioning himself, and he we even saw this later on um, when he reinvented himself, um, had bringing in the contingency plan or plan B, right? Yeah. Having plan B ready to go. He did it with Robinson behind Diaz. He was like, ah, I'm bring in my plan B already mm-hmm. and get him situated. So it might have been some of that because right McQuarter lasted longer, and then Nunez retired, what, a year later, two years later? Yeah, yeah, Tim Nunez. Uh, Tim Nunez was gone after the two oh, after the 02 season, and then Mac McQuarter yep. just became the O-line coach in 03. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you know, based on those guys, Tim Nunez recruited uh, the Justin Blaylocks and the Lausen lines and the Casey Stutters of the world, Mac McCorder coached oh, yeah. maybe the best offensive line we've ever seen uh, on the 40 acres. So, no, I, I, I like, like I said, Rod, not trying to get too far ahead of myself. I don't want to get too anxious and get my hopes up with this offensive line, but I like, I like the direction where this is going, especially now, like the, to, to have, like, I can't, there's no way, like, how much it means and how important it is it's it's almost impossible for me to put it into words having a guy like Jake Majors as your starting center and to know he's your starting center uh, and Rafiti Gurmai has been the backup but to have, have a guy like Derek Kerstetter knowing you don't have to pigeonhole him into any one spot which we talked about mm-hmm. for years guys with Kerstetter like man he's not your best offensive lineman but he might be your most valuable and Rod Bucky Gobble and I had this conversation. Uh, Bucky and I had this conversation a couple years ago, 
Like, is Kerstetter almost too valuable to start, right? Like, you maybe you just want to find your five, and then wherever you've got an injury your or weakness. a performance issue, yeah, whatever your weakest link is throughout a game or whatever, boom, Kerstetter, go to right guard, go to right tackle, go to left guard, wherever that is, and just plug him in. Now, if you're Kyle Flood, you'll pretty much have the table set, hopefully, and then by the time you get to the summer and get to camp, then you can figure out where Kerstetter could most help you. No, I'm starting to believe you guys had a point with that, too, because when you start looking at it, they could have slowly brought Jake Majors along. I think the offensive line will be better with the run concept, especially like the outside zone. Jake Majors is a lot more athletic, oh, I yeah, think, yeah. than Derek Kerstetter, right, from that center position. For those reach blocks, I think he can get to the you know get to the next level a little bit quicker than a Derek Kerstetter can. But I like your theory though because if you would have just played Derek Kerstetter at center, but given Jake Majors, I don't know, ten reps, ten reps a game, right? Twenty reps a second game, thirty reps or twenty five reps the third game, whatever. Brought him along slowly. By the end of the year, he's basically your start. Probably by middle of the year, middle of the season, he's basically your starting center. And then wherever you start having other issues, like you said, you diagnose like, man, we got we got issues at the right tackle, or we got issues at left guard, and mm-hmm. you can throw Kerstetter in there and see if it uh, overall if it improves the play of the offensive line. So I think you're right, man. I think you Kerstetter probably would hate it. Uh, you right. would basically have to right. almost talk to him and say, "Hey, man, you're gonna you're gonna get this many reps a game. Like you're gonna get mm-hmm. this many reps a game. We just don't know where it's gonna be from game to game. We're fit, we, we're we're moving you around because you're that valuable to us. You are our insurance plan on the O line. If something goes wrong, you're the insurance we put right there, and you can you can clean it up for us. You're our you're our fixer." And that's uh, that value really is something that uh, it's something we point out all the time and we have for years and being malleable and the ad- ability to manufacture death. But it's worth reiterating. And it's something that I don't even think is appreciated enough in modern sports. And I mean, you'll see it in baseball. They created the position, the the utility guy. And if you're an Astros fan back when they won the World Series, the Marwin Gonzalez, Gonzalez role yep. where you have a guy that you don't have to worry about a drop off in by just having one person back backup six positions instead of having to have a player in his backup and have 18 different guys you can get by with having 10 guys and the same thing on the offensive line if a guy like Kerstetter can be that guy and back up multiple positions when we talk about manufacturing depth and now instead of having to have 10 offensive linemen to have a two deep that's satisfactory and a play at an elite level you can have six you have your five guys and then the guy that fills in whichever hole doesn't fit and you go across the board it's something that we talk about by getting your best 11 on the field or when we're talking about maybe going smaller on defense and moving your safety down and spinning them down to linebacker. Those are the same things. You see it across basketball when the value that you can have a ball handler as a big but also the athleticism to defend a small. And these things, they really are just so valuable and you'll see people get big contracts these days and those tweeners that were looked down upon at one point now are guys that really are as valuable or more so than almost everybody else on the team. I just like the fact, Rod, that Kyle Flood can go through the spring and Kerstetter's out of sight, out of mind. Like he knows he's going to be getting back at some point, but he can, like he can plan this spring thinking because Kerstetter's not there, thinking, okay, I'm I've got to prepare for this season. Like I'm not going to have Kerstetter, 
And if you can come out of the spring with six, seven guys you feel good about, and then get him back, mm-hmm. now you feel really good about your depth going into uh, going into twenty twenty one. I want to talk defense real quick and the big move that happened last week, and it's in the process of continuing. It's an ongoing thing, as Sark said after the scrimmage on Saturday. They want to get Tyler Owens closer to the ball and just really try to get him on the field. And, you know, we've, we've talked about just the process of it and just not the process of, but the, where the game is going just in terms of positionless football. That Mike Tomlin quote, look like what you hunt. We talked about the mm-hmm. Tyler Owens move last week on the podcast, but now that we know he's working there, and, and Sark said, and I, I like what he said too. And, and this kind of, you know, Rod, this is kind of. Uh, the Steve Sarkeesian era early on, now that we don't have a lot of access to the program, uh, it's it's kind of like an onion, right? We just got to keep just keep peeling back the layers, and we'll find we'll find something here or there. Then we can just kind of piece this together as we go along. And one of those things is, like I said earlier, the safeties and nickels training together. And if the, if you're considering those players one group, you know, with Adam Mora and Cook. Marcus Caldwell, Foster, Jaron Thompson, moving Brennan Schooler over there. Yeah, now, now you've got some pretty nice depth at that safety nickel position and your lack of experience at inside linebacker, the issues you're having there. Why not take a look at Tyler Owens there? And I asked Sark about it, and he said, look, about the positionless football thing. And he said, that's fair to say. And you're, to this day and age, you're just trying to get big, long, physical athletes on the field. Uh, so, Rod, he basically confirmed everything we assumed about why you would make the move, and, and now they're taking a good look at it, and we'll see if we see him there in the spring game and, and get to see it for ourselves. Yeah, I love the move. I love it for Tyler Owens, and I love it for the defense, and I love it for the fans. Uh, you know, you go back, to me, it reminds me, and obviously schematically, uh, con- conceptually, very different, but uh, it reminds me, uh, of of the move in 20, 2017 when Gary Johnson comes in and Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson become kind of the the the, 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 the premier pieces of that lightning defense that mm-hmm. Todd Orlando stole from Iowa State where he had the six DBs on the field and he'd have you know er, uh, different guys playing the nickel whether it was Jason Hall or Antoine Davis or uh, John Bonney or P.J. Locke. And you go look at that defense. And I went and tracked the 40-yard dashes uh, of those guys on that defense uh, from back then. And, man, those DBs, that's a, that was a talented defensive backfield. Dang. If you look at it, um, your two linebackers were probably your two of your top four fastest guys on that defense, yeah. four or five, right? Only Antoine Davis. I, I clocked the only Antoine Davis, Houghton Hill, and Chris Boyd, who all ran four fours. Antoine Davis, unofficially, I think it was like somebody in his family that said he ran a four three, but I believe because Antoine Davis actually ran track, uh, and I remember him as a youngster. But either way, my point is, you go look at the forty yard dash of Gary Johnson. He ran a four four three. Malik Jefferson ran a four five two. Third fastest forty yard dash time for linebackers at the at the combine for each of those guys. Right? Mm-hmm. They were just as fast as as Deshaun Elliott, as Jason Hall as uh, Devontae Davis, as John Bonney, as P.J. Locke, or Brandon Jones. <laughs> and that was the key to that defense. It made it th- arguably one of the fastest defenses in the country, and it put a premium on speed. This will sim- this will be a similar move. Tyler Owens went a 4-3-something, and you go look at DeMarvin Osho, he's probably in a 4-6 range or maybe a high 4-5. 
Hell, B.J. Foster isn't that fast. Neither is Jaron Thompson. Anthony Cook's not a blazer. Josh Thompson's not a blazer. Deshaun Jameson would be the only guy that you can clock probably on that defensive backfield at back seven that's going to be faster than Tyler Owens and DeMarc Overshone at that linebacker position if they end up becoming the starting linebacker duo. So it's just, you know, maybe Darian Dunn. I don't know his 40-year time, but he's a track guy. But I'm saying my point is the linebackers will be two of your four fastest guys if they ends up that experiment ends up with them being the two starting linebackers. And I, you know I went I didn't pull forty times Rod, but I went and looked at just where the you know the the linebacker position in the Big Twelve is going. And we talk about this all the time, but I think it's worth reinforcing here. So I went back and looked last year at everybody that was first or second team all Big Twelve at the linebacker position. Tony Fields at West Virginia. Mike Rose at Iowa State, Garrett Wallow at TCU, Terrell Bernard at Baylor, Amen Abang Bamiga at Oklahoma State, Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State, and Nick Benito uh, at uh, at Oklahoma. And Benito was a hybrid edge guy, but he got linebacker votes, so it's kind of weird the Big Twelve the way the Big Twelve does things. But I digress. Yeah. Benito was really the only guy that like is a true like was a, a big time recruit, was a four star recruit. Uh, actually, his decision came down between Oklahoma and Texas uh, back then. He was a kid from South Florida. I think he went to St. Thomas Aquinas. I can't remember off the top of my head. If I think that's where he went. But anyway, he's a guy that was um, pretty highly thought of, and uh, and and you know, kind of fit what Oklahoma wanted to do in their defense on the edge. But Rod, you take a look at the other guys. Like Tony Fields was just an athlete in high school. Garrett Waller was a high school safety. Malcolm Rodriguez was a dual threat quarterback in high school. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I, I looked at all these guys, their average height and weight at as high school recruits, six, one and a half, 208 pounds. So yeah. you're taking like high school quarterbacks, running backs, safeties, and you end up converting and you end up converting those guys into linebackers in the big 12. And just look at how these guys grow like Tony Fields in high school, right? 62205 were his measurements. Now he's 61220. Uh, Garrett Wallow, 62215 in high school, 62230 at TCU. Terrell Bernard, uh, 615 is what he was listed at in high school. 61222 is what Baylor lists him at. Abang Bamiga came to Oklahoma State at 6'2", 11, 61235. <laughs> Malcolm Rodriguez, 5'11", 190 coming out of high school, 5'11", 220 now. And even Nick Benito, 6'2", 204 in high school, 6'3", 238 now at Oklahoma. So it, it's just that process we talk about, Rod. The leaner, sleeker, more athletic guys, those are the guys you want to try to find to be three-down linebackers in this league. You're, you're prioritizing speed and athleticism over size. You'll get them sized up where they can handle themselves in the box, but you got to recruit speed. you got to recruit athleticism, and I'm right there with you. That's why I like the Tyler Owens move. If you got a guy at 6'3", 215 that legitimately ran 10 fours in high school, hell yeah, you want to try to get him on the field somewhere. It doesn't matter really where it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at Mike Gundy. The reason that Oklahoma State defense is now much more improved, um, he, he his quote was, he said four or five years ago, he can't remember when, they stopped, they eliminated recruiting corners, safeties, and linebackers. He said, we recruited a certain player that we feel like can play any of those five spots, and they're fast enough to cover. You might have to, one might have to go to corner, one might have to go to free safety. 
He said, traditionally, you take a guy 210, 215 pounds and put him at safety in this league, he can't cover anybody. So he said they basically just watch how their bodies grow, and then they place them in different spots. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and actually, it's worked out. Oklahoma State's defense is perfect in terms of the adaptation for the Big 12. So it's basically an ecosystem, right? The, the Big 12 is the ecosystem. Pace and space and speed is the name of the game. So you have to adapt, look like what you hunt. So these creatures are just adapting in their ecosystem that is the Big 12. But fortunately enough for the Big 12, that's also becoming the ecosystem of the NFL. Mm -hmm. That's why you had two Big 12 linebackers drafted in the first round for the first time in the history of the conference because now the NFL starting to look like the Big 12. So now they're going to start looking at Big 12 defenses. They playing three safety defense in the, uh, for the Tampa Bay Bucks against, against Patrick Mahomes to stop Patrick Mahomes because they got that from Iowa State shutting down Mahomes when they blew him out uh, his, what is his junior year? I mean, it it's crazy how it all yeah. comes together, but you're, you're certainly right about that. That linebacker position is changing and evolving faster than any other position arguably in the game today because of how uh, they can be exploited and how they're being exploited. That's going to do it for this week's show. Gentlemen, we reconvene next week. We'll be previewing the spring game, talking about players we want to see, what we want to see. We'll be breaking it down. The spring game is upon us, and that is coming up on next week's edition of The Blitz. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday on the triple option from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to subscribe to Longhorn Blitz anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Click the subscribe button, get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.